I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 2, Episode 7, Feminists or Feared Revolutionaries? the Vancouver Women's Caucus, and the abortion caravan of 1970. In 1970, the relatively fledgling Vancouver Women's Caucus planned to travel from Vancouver to Ottawa to protest the new, yet still heavily restrictive abortion laws passed under the Pierre Trudeau administration. Little did they know that they were being followed and tracked by the RCMP. The RCMP saw them as not necessarily dangerous feminists, but dangerous radicals with feared connections to far more radical leftist organizations seeking to destabilize the Canadian democratic state. Before we continue, just a reminder, you can find us on a number of different platforms. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud just by searching Cool Canadian History. You can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And of course, you can find us on our website, www coolcanadianhistory.com. Now at the bottom of the website, there is a donations tab courtesy of PayPal. PayPal makes it very easy to donate to the podcast, and every donation is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this on a bi-weekly basis. Now, our story actually begins in May of 1969. The new Liberal Prime Minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, succeeded in passing Bill C-150. This was, for the time, a very forward-thinking bill, but one that, looking back, still held very restrictive views of sex, the female body, and the government's role in these complicated categories. You see, the bill legalized contraception, abortion, and homosexual acts between consenting adults, But what we're going to focus on here is specifically the abortion legislation. Though now legal in the eyes of the state, it was still heavily restrictive, and many women's groups sought to continue to challenge the state's restrictive views on access to legalized abortion. You see, under the new law, therapeutic abortion committees, called TACs, could approve applications for abortion on a case-by-case basis. They would, of course, base their conclusions on the threat to the life or the health of the woman applying. The problem was, very few hospitals established tax. In fact, they were mostly seen in urban areas, with very few seen in rural areas. As well, the terms and conditions of what was a quote-unquote threat to the health of the woman was left entirely to the discretion of the TAC members. Meaning, 
the political, religious, ideological beliefs uh, of the TAC could easily be enforced through their decisions. So, though abortion was now legal in the eyes of the state, it was only legal through approval from a TAC. This meant that clandestine abortions were still sought by most women. Now, one group that would galvanize the public and spearhead the challenge to this restrictive version of legalized abortion was the Vancouver Women's Caucus. You see, the VWC arose from the spirit of the new leftist movements that permeated newly opened university Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, B.C. In fact, all over Canada and the U.S. in the late 60s, campuses were experiencing a dramatic increase in enrollment basically as the baby boomers were becoming of university age. This dramatic increase in student population meant that universities were now becoming centers of political activism. It's no surprise if one, of course, takes into account the volatile days of the 1960s. Now, SFU at this time was very much the center of radical rhetoric and challenges to the status quo, one might even say it was BC's vanguard educational institution in terms of political activism. So out of this environment of political activism spawned what was first known as the SFU Women's Caucus in 1968, a group of women, primarily though not exclusively students, seeking to secure greater reproductive rights for women as a whole. One of the first areas this group sought to challenge the status quo on was providing detailed information on birth control methods. It was through competing on this battleground that the Women's Caucus became aware of the serious issues surrounding access to abortion for Canadian women. You see, the SFU Women's Caucus quickly realized that the battleground of abortion would be a key fighting platform for what would become known as second wave feminism. The group chose, in fact, to move off campus and rename themselves the Vancouver Women's Caucus. Now they were seeking more representatives from different groups within Canadian society. At its core, the group was still made up of primarily SFU students and faculty, but now included much more UBC students and faculty, as well as a growing number of housewives, single mothers, pink-collar workers, and healthcare professionals. But very much the VWC was still white, middle-class, heterosexual, with a Christian sort of influence. By this time, the VWC saw the abortion campaign as the fundamental movement that would galvanize women across the country in the fight for women's rights. They very much looked at history and the efforts of the suffragettes, who were fighting for the voting rights for women, as an example of what could happen with the right cause and the right organization. Others in the VWC also saw the abortion issue as one that cut across class lines, affecting the poor and the rich equally. And thus, it was also a movement that could very well create unifying momentum for socialists throughout the country. Regardless of political leaning, all the members of the VWC understood that the key to gaining support was informing women across the country. In order to get the message out, the VWC used numerous strategies, uh, for instance, creating abortion information services that could provide guidance and help to the complicated steps of navigating a legal abortion in Canada. They also used a popular form of protest in the form of guerrilla theater. One popular skit that they would eventually perform across the country was of a TAC committee denying a number of candidates until one woman stood in front of them with a fur coat and a silver spoon in her mouth. 
This character was the only one to get approval. All the other characters who were rejected ended up dying either through suicide, giving birth, or through failed illegal abortions. A powerful statement for sure. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, it was at a caucus meeting in October of 1969 that the VWC decided it would make a trip to the nation's capital to officially launch a national campaign challenging the restrictive abortion laws in place. Very much the organizers patterned this trek on the famous On to Ottawa trek in 1935. This was a trek where laborers in work camps throughout western Canada hopped on trains headed to Ottawa to protest working conditions in the midst of the brutal depression of the 1930s. Now the VWC plan was for a caravan of cars to leave Vancouver and arrive in Ottawa on Mother's Day weekend of 9th to 11th of May, a symbolism of course not at all lost on the organizers. The caravan would stop at cities along route, performing their guerrilla theater and meeting with a variety of women's lib groups. They planned to continue to gather followers as they went, while also raising the profile of the abortion issue. The organizers very much planned to make the government aware of their intentions. In fact, a letter was sent to Prime Minister Trudeau and members of his cabinet informing the government of their planned caravan. As well, the letter demanded that the government repeal the law, pardon anybody convicted under the old or new abortion law, fund research on methods of birth control for men and women, and make the teaching of abortions mandatory in medical schools. The letter also requested a meeting with Trudeau and then-Health Minister John Monroe. The letter read or concluded, and I quote, We consider the government of Canada is in a state of war with the women of Canada. If steps are not taken to implement our demands by Monday, 11 May 1970, we will be forced to respond by declaring war on the Canadian government. We are angry, furious women, and we demand our right to human dignity. End quote. As you can imagine, this is the point at which the RCMP really start to take an interest. Here is a group already with suspected leftist leanings, going all the way back to its days at Simon Fraser University, now talking of war with the government of Canada and seeking an audience with the Prime Minister himself. Now, it's important to highlight that it was not the RCMP's criminal division that was interested in the VWC, but actually its security service. The service at that time was responsible for handling matters related to espionage and subversion, work that is now done by CSIS, the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service. The RCMP's security service seemed to have opened its first file on women's lib groups in Canada in the spring of 1969. One of its opening lines reads, During recent months, we have noted the emergence of women's lib groups in Canada. These groups are being organized to publicize the role of women in society and to stop the so-called exploitation of women, end quote. One of the earliest files actually indicates that pro-Chinese communists had infiltrated a Toronto women's lib group. The question is, though, how much did the left influence women's lib groups overall? In the case of the VWC, simply put, there is significant evidence to suggest that the VWC, although not quite socialist, 
certainly considered themselves part of the movement against capitalism, uh, against a capitalist system, which they thought, of course, was patriarchal in nature. But these nuances were, of course, lost on the RCMP's all-male security service. Most of the RCMP investigators viewed all this through the lens of revolutionary communism. Any group with real or suspected left-wing attachments were considered part of a nefarious global coalition to take down democracy. It would take a few years before the RCMP finally realized that no master communist plot was behind most of the new left protest movement. Now, in order to spy on the VWC, the RCMP used a combination of police surveillance and, surprisingly, a large collection of open sources, articles, newspapers, magazines, etc. One can probably understand that police surveillance, and especially spying, became a serious problem. The VWC were almost entirely female. The RCMP were entirely male. Needless to say, within months of the VWC moving off campus, the RCMP had developed a growing file on the group. And in fact, the RCMP were able to get an informer into one of their late 1969 meetings. Thus, by the time the caravan was scheduled to leave Vancouver, the RCMP were certainly aware, interested, and concerned about its objectives and its final destination. Needless to say, the caravan left Vancouver on the 27th of April, 1970. The lead vehicle in the caravan had a coffin strapped to its roof, with the phrases, abortion is our right, and on to Ottawa splashed all over it. Interestingly, a smash capitalism slogan was painted off the car by the time the caravan got to Regina, perhaps a more conciliatory decision amongst the left and non-left members participating in the caravan as a whole. Now, every day, the caravan would drive about 300 miles, and then it would find a place to stop, and it would perform its theater and hold large public meetings. The RCMP and the local police would observe from a distance in marked cars, while undercover security officers infiltrated the meetings. The RCMP also had unmarked cars following the caravan all the way to Ottawa. Most cities were both skeptical and open to the arrival of the caravans. You see, the group found supporters everywhere they stopped, while most of the mainstream press often commented on their hippie dress and their radical ideas. Now, on the morning of the 9th of May, the VWC finally arrived in Ottawa. When they arrived, they met up with a number of other women's lib groups who had rallied to meet the VWC, and all of them, totaling about 300 women, participated in a triumphant march to Ottawa's Parliament Hill. Now, interestingly, most of the reports by the RCMP spoke of well-behaved teenage girls sitting around in an orderly fashion. There was a number of speeches, um, including a speech given by Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, the male physician who had been breaking the new abortion law in his own clinic in Montreal. Certainly, this man was a champion of women's rights to choose. Ironically, he was booed off of the speaking platform for being a male. Now, unfortunately for the protesters, no members of the sitting government were willing to meet with any of them. Thus, later in the day, the protesters left Parliament Hill and headed straight for the Prime Minister's residence. Now, Trudeau wasn't home, but the 300 women continued to demand an audience with the Prime Minister. In fact, were he home, it would have been unlikely that the eight police officers protecting his home at 24 Sussex Drive would have been able to stop a confrontation. When it was made clear that the Prime Minister wasn't home, the women decided to deposit the coffin on the doorstep of the PM's home, after which they left peacefully. Two days later, an even more interesting event occurred. 
a number of women infiltrated the House of Commons, wearing what was dubbed respectable clothing. The 25 or so women then chained themselves to their seats in the audience gallery, and in the middle of the session stood up to denounce the new abortion law. The pandemonium that ensued, including a water balloon that landed in the PM's empty chair, shut down the House of Commons. This was the first time in the history of the House of Commons that it was shut down mid-session. Incredibly, none of the women were arrested, and once they were escorted outside by the police, they joined other marchers on Parliament Hill to continue their protest. What's incredible about this whole process was it forced a serious institutional review of security at both the Prime Minister's house and within the House of Commons. Simply put, if young girls could access both places fairly easily, then what about quote-unquote real threats to the government? In the end, the RCMP looked for evidence of a larger communist and probably male-led threat. This didn't exist. While the RCMP were looking for this greater, bigger conspiracy, the VWC and other women's lib groups like it were fundamentally challenging the Canadian state and society. The caravanners not only got the publicity they were looking for, but they were able to challenge and undermine the security of the Prime Minister's residence and the House of Commons. Certainly a key victory in the battle for women's rights. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.